1: Better than all the big play, game-changing opportunities uh, around college football to get us rolling here on Strong as Steel. Hey, everybody. Hope you're feeling well. I'm Michael Regei, pleased to be joined by the outstanding preeminent analyst in college football and the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview. That, of course, is Phil Steele. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, is here as well, and most importantly, We've got you all locked in, right? For the next 60 minutes, here's how you get on board. We'll go anything and everything that you want throughout college football and the FBS, 130 teams. You tell us. We're all over it with you as we know that uh, you want to have uh, your insights all set to go for this weekend. 646-668-2248. I'll repeat that one more time. I hope you got it locked in already, though. 646 646- Six six eight twenty two forty eight. 2248 That's how you uh, chatted up with Phil and yours truly here on Strong as Steel. Phil Steele, usually a 13-week college football season, my friend. We're already at week seven, so things are starting to shake out. And, uh, of course, we saw a couple fall from the ranks of the unbeaten in uh, over the weekend in Oklahoma and Michigan. So, Phil, we've got 13 unbeaten around the FBS, and uh, I know your work Your work is really just starting to get into it for 2017.
2: Yeah, it is. And uh, I tell you what, Michael, you liked those upsets last weekend. I got a feeling that in the next six or seven weeks, we're going to see quite a few upsets as well. So it's going to be your usual college football season. And what you think you absolutely know right now, three, four weeks from now, you're going to be like, you know what? We didn't really know that at all. Yeah, no, I'm
1: with you on that, absolutely. But we hope that here on Strongest Steel, for uh, our hour that we're together each and every Wednesday, 12 o'clock Eastern, let your college football friends know about it, that we, we can help maybe shape some thoughts and opinions for you as you have your Phil Steele's college football preview with you. And uh, that way you've got everything you need at uh, your disposal as well. As we'll tell you about a little bit later on, uh, all of uh, the fine workings of uh, Phil at com, And uh, that, of course, is always just a, a mouse click away for all of you guys. We'll do it on Twitter as well. We love doing it on Twitter. So our producer, Jim Nabosna, is uh, always – Looking uh, very, very uh, carefully at social media. And so uh, on Twitter, at Phil Steele, S T E E L E 042, at Michael R E G H I, at Jim Nabosna. That's how you do it. A little bit later on, we'll uh, dive into uh, all of the fine tweets that uh, you guys bring to us. All right, Phil, let's get rolling. As I mentioned, 13 unbeatens. And the best thing that Phil and I like to always tell you about strong is steel is we're not just Power Five oriented. There's so many of you that are interested in your Group of Five programs, the American Athletic, the Mid-American Conference, Conference USA, Mountain West Sunbelt, that – We're on top of it for you as well. Phil, that's where we're going to start today because we have uh, three unbeatens from the group of five. Let's start with uh, Scott Frost's football team. Really like them. They're off back-to-back AAC blastings of Memphis and Cincinnati. They put 91 points on the board, Phil, in those two wins. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, their quarterback, he fired five TD passes, three of those to Traquan Smith uh, last week. The Knights, uh, they're averaging 46 points a game. Now, here's the deal though, can they keep rolling now in the AAC and not caught looking ahead? They've got East Carolina this week. And then, Phil, we know they travel to Annapolis and a date with Navy on the 21st. UCF still roll this week against East Carolina. Stay unbeaten, Phil Steele?
2: Oh, easily. Easily. The only question is, can they covered a 35 point spread. Vegas thinks they definitely win this one. I do as well, you know. Th- this is one where um, you know, every week Michael my computer has been very high on Central Florida and You know, going into the Maryland game, I might have ignored my computer a little bit. It was calling for UCF to win all right. I'm like, yeah, get out of here. Maryland's going to win that game. Now, granted, Maryland lost their starting quarterback, and with Bordenschlager, they really struggled. But then they just wiped out Memphis at home, wiped out Cincinnati last week. Each win has not only been a win, but a a dominant blowout. And then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and it's been a struggle for East Carolina this year. Uh, I like talking to Coach Montgomery each year, but uh, you know, it's definitely was a rebuilding project here and uh they've been been on the wrong end of a lot of those blowouts. Even last week, a struggling Temple offense, they allowed five hundred and twenty-three yards to. So they're giving up six hundred yards per game. Central Florida mm-hmm. only three thirty, and eventually Central Florida's even got the better offense. So it's at home. It's at Bright House Stadium. The Navy game on deck may keep this one within reason it might be the first time they don't cover the spread by their two three touchdowns that they've been doing it all year because you might i personally would sneak in a little extra preparation for navy maybe work on the option on wednesday in practice just to make sure i'm ready for that big game and uh so I, i think that would be the one saving grace for east carolina but on paper central florida should definitely win this game by 35 to 42 points
1: yeah, I like what you're saying. Although if we ask Scott Frost, he'd probably uh, take out his uh, his yardstick and smack us both for saying that they would <laughs> on Navy a little bit this week. But I I agree with you, Phil. Have you, did you hear Phil at the start too of that breakdown? He said uh, he 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 kind of looked at his computer funny uh, the during the UCF Maryland game. Phil, you and the computer once in a while you you have words, don't you? You could love us behind the curtain yeah. here on Strong as Steel.
2: Yeah, I definitely do. And, you know, whenever the computer wins, uh, it, definitely not, not a good winner. He likes to <laughs> gloat. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of that going on in that the, the interaction each week. <laughs> love it. Love it.
1: But, uh, yeah, so that's what you get. Uh, you know, there's always uh, complete, <laughs> complete honesty strong as steel from us again 646-668-2248 that's the number you get on board with uh you're all lined up as you always are let's uh, start the roll here on this edition of strongest steel down to the great state of Louisiana and here's our man Leo welcome to the show Leo how are you fine
0: thank you for acting Appreciate the show, and uh, I'd like to ask, Leo, what
2: is the his take on the Tulane FIU game, and do you think Tulane will go bowling this year? All right, appreciate the call, Leo, and uh, I really like what uh, Coach Fritz is doing with this Tulane team. When I talked to him in the spring, going over the team, I said, "Wow, you can have a pretty good team." And then we went sk- team by team but down the schedule. I'm like. That's a tough schedule you got there, Coach, and he knew it. And uh, so, you know, it, it's the schedule's going to be tougher as it goes along. I think if they could bag this FIU win, that would be win number four, and I think they will. But then South Florida at Memphis, uh, Houston, and Smoo are still left on the schedule. But they've got a good shot at it. I love the way the offense is going. The key has been Jonathan Banks. Jonathan uh, Banks has been a guy that uh, originally signed at Kansas State, And uh, if Bill Snyder is going to sign you, that tells you a little bit about the type of uh, player you are because uh, he only signs guys that are going to be committed to the team. and, And Jonathan Banks has sure proven to be a winner since he's taken over and Uh, with that starting job so I I love the way the offense is uh, operating the defense is holding foes to 61 yards per game below their season average it's a little bit of a tough spot this week going on the road and being as big a favorite as they are against FIU but I think they can handle it because uh, they're I I personally thought Tulsa was going to give them a game last week watched every play of the first half and it was just total annihilation 48 to 7 Tulsa looked like they had never even seen the option before and they had just faced it two straight weeks so that sort of stunned me and really brought up my grade of Tulane as as it goes on. And FIU just lost to Middle Tennessee by 20 last week. They had the big loss to UCF. They've got a couple of wins on their agenda, but I think it's going to be tough for them to keep pace with Tulane, especially with uh, Butch Davis taking on the option. You know, Butch, of course, didn't, hasn't taken on the option a lot. So i I'd, I'd like Tulane to win this one by uh, more than the 14 this week. Appreciate the call, Leo.
1: Yeah.
2: All right, calling for a decisive
1: Tulane win there. Yeah, we do appreciate the call, Leo. Good stuff from the state of Louisiana. Again, 646-668-2248. As I said, do not be bashful if you're looking at uh, a game or you have some thoughts. Your favorite team is from one of the conferences in the group of five. I I venture to say that, there's nobody better than Phil, and uh, yeah, we'll pat ourselves on the back, Phil and yours truly, at at breaking down the FBS for you and any show like this around the country. Because quite honestly, um, you're not going to get much conversation other than uh, the top 25 and the power five. So uh, we appreciate that you bring that to us, and we know that we can deliver for you with that. Let's continue on. We go to uh, Pittsburgh, PA, uh, our man that uh, goes by goes by the handle Nine route uh, with some thoughts on the ACC this week. Hey, Nine, how you doing, buddy? Buddy,
0: doing good. Good to talk to you guys again. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about the Georgia Tech-Miami game. I think Miami's in a tough spot coming after uh, a week after that big, win over the rival Florida State, and Georgia Tech off the bye week. I think it's going to be tough for Miami to get up two weeks in a row and are also without their uh, Mark Walton, their starting running
2: back, and one of their best receivers is a little dinged up. I like Georgia Tech getting the points and maybe even outright. All right, appreciate the call. And uh, you're right, the situation has drastically changed from what it was in the preseason. In the preseason, Miami had a bye the week before this game and uh I-, I thought they'd be fully loaded for it. I don't like the fact they're off that big win last week. I don't like the fact Mark Walton is out. Let's face it, he was their maybe their top offensive weapon. But what I do like is how Mark Richt has performed against that Georgia Tech option. I believe he's seven and one the last eight games Last year, they went on the road to Georgia Tech and uh, came out of there with a 35-21 to 21 win. And I think they're, when you look at Miami's defensive front seven, they haven't quite performed to my level of expectations. I had thought they'd be dominant at this point. They haven't been, but they still have the athletes in that front seven, and they know how to defend the options. So I, th- I think when you add all that together, the fact that they're at home for this one, and uh, you know what happens a lot of times, teams gain confidence as they pick up these early wins and I think you're seeing a Miami team that's gonna to continue to gain confidence on a weekly basis. So despite the fact it's a great situation for Georgia Tech this week, I think Miami's the better team they're at home and they're more confident if their Florida State win. I like Miami to get this one by about a touchdown or more. Appreciate the call there.
1: Yep, good stuff. Uh very impressed last week, of course, that uh that game ended drive that Malik Rozier put together Phil uh against Florida State and uh Where do you think Jimbo Fisher's program is right now, in case we don't get to him quickly? I mean, uh, three losses already, certainly reeling, and do you think Fisher can reel them back in and still have a solid season and get to a decent bowl?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, in fact, you know, one thing I want to quickly point out while we're talking about Florida State is, you know, the general consensus, I think, across the country is they've got one of the worst offensive lines in the country. But One thing I do want to point out, in these first four games, They have taken on three defensive lines that I rate in my top six defensive lines in the country. I'm talking about Alabama, North Carolina State, Miami of Florida, and the other defensive line, oh, by the way, it's my number 25 rated defensive line in Wake Forest. So while the offensive line has struggled, remember they had over 400 yards against Miami last week. This week, they're taking on a Duke defensive line that's not my top 60. So I think you're going to see that offensive line now that they're not facing elite defensive lines on a week-to-week basis like they have to open the season, show the improvement. And I think you're going to see Florida State turn this thing around. Don't think they're going to win in Death Valley against that defensive line, but I do think you're going to see Florida State show a lot of improvement upcoming.
1: Okay, you mentioned Duke and then Louisville at home at Boston College, Syracuse at home. You mentioned Death Valley, November 11th, Clemson then the uh, the obligatory uh, step out against Delaware State, and then at Florida and the, uh, the other state rivalry. So, yeah, we'll see how Jimbo Fisher's squad uh, gets themselves back on track. And as Phil pointed out, I'm with you, my friend. A lot of that connected to the offensive line. All right, 646-668-2248. You guys are rolling. We know you would. We have great confidence in you here on Strong as Steel. Let's uh, head to the state of New Jersey. Uh, here's our man Moody with some, uh, with some thoughts about uh, the Army football team against Eastern Michigan. Hey, Moody, how you doing?
0: Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, how was that? How was that Buffalo Western Michigan game last week? But um, <laughs> this week I'm <laughs> this week I'm looking at the uh Army and and in um Eastern Michigan game. Um, I'm kind of big on you guys' first analysis of Eastern Michigan. I think they face kind of steep in conference competition, and and they face uh Kentucky in the SEC. And on the other side, you got Army. Their last two wins was against UTEP and Rice. Like while they got the wins, UTEP and Rice are not too impressive to me. I think that um the 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 mis- misleading records, the two and three for Eastern Michigan and and, and Army's record is it got the books kind of like over adjusted. What do you think? I like Ohio. I mean, I like Eastern Michigan on the money line. What do you guys think?
2: I right, appreciate it, Moody. You know, the main thing here is going to be, is Eastern Michigan focused on the game? Because I think if you line up these two teams, like you correctly pointed out, Eastern, I mean, they played Ohio to the wire. They played Kentucky to the wire. They played Toledo to the wire. Three tough losses. Now, that can hurt you sometimes. You know, you, you start doubting yourself a little bit, and they're in the middle, or in the max sandwich. They've got a big game next week against Western Michigan. Uh, they haven't seen the Army option in two years. did not face the option last season. So you wonder about the preparation in a non mac game because they came into the season thinking they had a shot at, you know they're I'm sure they were thinking they were gonna be a contender in the Mac West. They still could be theoretically they only have two losses if they went out, they'd still be a contender, but uh it's got to be a little disappointing and meanwhile, army, their main advantage that they have is the fact that they run the options tough offense to prepare for they run it every week. They're at home for this one. They're gaining confidence with that four and two record. So uh, I, I like your analysis on this one, Moody. I am going to call for Army to win this one at home, but uh, I definitely think you had a good analysis. And I think if Eastern Michigan comes in and uh, puts that thought process into it, then they got a chance of, uh, of pulling that upset, so, like you said. But uh, I'm going to side with Army to win that one. Appreciate the call.
1: Yeah, good stuff uh, from both uh, Moody and, and Phil Still, Phil, I'm with you on that. I mean, Western Michigan next, and then at Northern Illinois for Eastern Michigan. And, well, you're right, uh, the, uh, in the last three weeks, the Ohio at Kentucky and at Toledo losses, uh, pretty gut-wrenching for Chris Creighton and his football team. So we're going to find out if they have that, uh, that will and that aptitude to bounce back in this one against Army, and uh, if they can, I think that might uh, set them up with uh, with an opportunity to win at home against Western Michigan, but uh, we shall see how they fare there. All right, 646-668-2248. Don't forget about keep your tweets coming in. Again, at PhilSteel042, at Michael Regai, at Jim Nabosna. We are going to uh, be getting into our Twitter mailbag. You know how we do that in the second half of the show, and we'll take as many of those as uh, we can grab. Phil, we uh, we discussed uh, one of those thirteen unbeaten in uh, the UCF and Scott Frost football team. Also, uh, right there in state with them, not far away are the campuses. How about Charlie Strong and the Bulls of South Florida? They're five and zero off a of bye. Now they're hosted Cincinnati this week at Raymond James. Uh, his senior quarterback. Uh, Charlie Strong's Quentin Flowers is just triggering an offense that that is uh, out of sight. They rack up 45 points a game. Flowers has already thrown for 10 TDs. He's rushed for five more. I uh, listen. They're averaging five yards per carry plus Phil, and they're getting a boost from a defense that's in the top 30 in the FBS as well. So are we looking at smooth sailing for? Uh, the South Florida Bulls until that after Thanksgiving meeting with UCF, Cincinnati this week
2: at home. Well, they have uh, – this week will be smooth sailing because Cincinnati, uh, I, I don't know what kind of job Tommy Tuberville was really doing down the stretch, recruiting. When you go through a coaching change, some guys lose their job. Uh, some guys quit the team. And this a, a Cincinnati team is just not playing. Uh, you know, they just don't have the depth to stand there. And here's the thing with South Florida. Remember their first two games – you go back to that San Jose State game, and they were trailing 16 to nothing, and you're scratching your head, going, "What's wrong with South Florida?" And the next week, they're playing Stony Brook, and they're trailing 10-7 at the half. Completely non-impressive the first two games. Since then. Very impressive. And they seem to get better by the week. So this is a team that maybe was here reading a little bit too much of its press clippings. I for one had nailed them as the uh the number one non uh power five team, you know, to to run the table this year. You knew they were going to be favored in every game. Upcoming, I'm a little concerned about at Tulane and perhaps home to Houston prior to that big showdown with UCF. But uh for the American conference, I know they're rooting for USF, UCF. Uh, at the end of the year, both unbeaten, because that would be quite a game. Uh, but right now, South Florida is one of the premier teams in the country. And I think you pointed out, the defense last year gave up over 400 yards per game. This year, just 294 yeah. yards per game. This, the soft schedule helps. They are playing one of the softest mm-hmm. schedules in the entire country. But uh, this is a very good South Florida team. and should have no problem with Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, we discussed this back when we were previewing the uh, the American Athletic as well, with, uh, about uh, both South Florida and uh, Central Florida. We'll get to uh, we'll get to their friends in Annapolis coming up in just a minute, because uh, the Navy midshipmen there maybe going to make life rough uh, in the AAC as they usually do. All right, we get back at it with all of you. Love the way you guys are all lined up, ready to go with the games that you want to analyze and evaluate for the weekend. State of New York, here's our man Mark on Strong as Steel. What's going on, Mark?
0: Good afternoon, guys. I uh, hope everything's going well. Just want to bring up this UConn and Temple game. Uh, you know, the number's at 10 going uh, UConn catching the points. You you look at this game, I feel like Temple's a little bit inflated after that win against ECU. ECU, like I said a couple weeks ago, might be the worst team in the FBS. You know, uh, I don't think Markie really knows what he's doing at quarterback all the time. And you go to UConn, you know, you got a senior quarterback in the Sheriffs, and you got Arkel Newsome out of the backfield that I think leads the league and uh, catches. I just feel like UConn's got the firepower to stay with them and uh, keep this game with intent. What do you guys think?
2: You know, I think if you took a look at the two teams offensively, you would grade them very close because, as you talked about, uh, Sheriff's is, is having a pretty good year. He's hitting 67% 9-3 ratio. But you brought up East Carolina, one of the worst teams, and uh, I'm going to go back to that home game Connecticut had. Oh, it was against East Carolina, mm-hmm. and they trailed 27-14 to 14 at the half. Uh, they They did miss a field goal at the end of the game, which could have pushed overtime, showed some comeback qualities, but... I was surprised that East Carolina had the big lead like they did on Connecticut in that game and the the main thing with Connecticut is they're a team that has had a drastic change on both sides of the football. Not only new schemes on the defense, but the biggest change has been offensively. Coming into last year, uh the game plan of Diaco every game was we're gonna run as few of plays as possible, keep our defense fresh, punts not a bad word, and take as much time off the clock as we can. This year, hurry up offense, run as many plays as we can. And there's been a huge uptick on the offense, but look at those defensive numbers. 576 yards per game, 69% completions, 4.6 yards per carry. The defense getting worn down, and maybe they were a good defense by numbers the last couple of years because of the slowdown offense, and now they're sort of showing their true colors. I like the way Temple played last week. They do have a legitimate defense. Uh, With that defensive edge, I actually like Temple, minus the points in that one. Appreciate the call there.
1: Oh, good stuff, Mark. We do appreciate it indeed. And uh, Mark's always got a good handle for us on uh, what's going on in the AAC. Six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. Great to have you along on Strongest Steel. Off to a tremendous start. Uh, you guys do that each and every week, though, and that's why Phil and I are, uh, are so locked into you and what you provide us here on the show because, in essence, it's – it's your show, as uh, you kind of uh, dictate where and how we do it for the hour here, each and every week. Let's continue on. We uh, go out to the great state of Oregon, and here's our friend Tyler. And it has been, uh, Tyler, it's been a little different week around that uh, that Oregon State Beavers program, is it not? Oh well, you know, we felt like we needed another challenge or something. It wasn't hard enough
2: out <laughs> here already.
1: But anyway, I'm a little curious about what Phil's thinking about the uh, Colorado-Oregon State game. Both teams come in obviously a little disappointed about where they're at. And I would say Oregon State's eh, a little harder to get a beat on because they've played a much tougher schedule. But uh, they haven't been competitive in many of their games, especially after the second half. They did a little better last week, but still they were playing USC, so it's really hard to get a read on. Also, I'm curious, the uh, fact that, they uh, just lost their coach. How does that affect your analysis?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty shocking to me that Anderson opted, opted to step aside like he did this week. Uh, now, generally, and I'll, I'll ask Michael about this. What I've found in in sports, almost any sport, is generally the first week that there is a coaching change, that team usually plays a little bit more fire, and you know comes out. It's a different attitude and. You see teams be pretty successful the first week after a coaching change. We'll get his thoughts on that in a minute. But uh, this is a Colorado team that, you know, let's face it, they won the Pac-12 South last year. They thought they could win the Pac-12 South this year. Losing to Arizona at home is tough. Uh, That's a game I think they definitely thought they would win. They had their chances against UCLA. But right now, they're 0 3 in Pac 12 play and need a win. So, unlike a lot of opponents that might be taking on Oregon State this year with the Beavers underperforming, I think Colorado will be fully focused on this one. They know they got Washington State on the road on deck, Arizona State at Utah, USC. They need to get to a bowl game. So, I think they'll take this game seriously. I like Phillip Lindsay, a running back. I know Ryan Nall's solid for Oregon State, but he's been banged up this year. Lindsay's rushed for 810 yards. Montez, I think, is the better option at QB between the two, sitting 64% with a 10-6 ratio. And defensively, Colorado's actually holding opponents to 39 yards below their season average, while Oregon State is allowing teams 50 yards above their season average. So even though Colorado's been struggling, double-digit favorite on the road, and the new head coach system, I'm still going to lean with Colorado to come out of there with the win, and probably by double digits. Appreciate the call, Tyler.
1: Yeah, good stuff, Tyler. And, uh, no, Phil, I'm with you in that as you brought up the fact whether it's, uh, you know, a a coaching change, college football, any sport, college basketball, the NFL, NBA, baseball managerial change. Yeah, usually you're going to see a spike in play for a short period of time, meaning that. that team obviously looking to make a good impression, especially if they think that that guy, who in this case interim head coach, might have a chance to be the guy. But Phil, I, is Mike Riley going to head back out to Oregon again after I? You know, I, I don't know for some reason. I got a feeling that he's going to be in the mix. How about you?
2: Well, I tell you what, Michael. I just did a show in Oregon and the, uh, yesterday, and they asked me that question. They said, "So who do you think is going to be there?" And I said. Well, here's the bottom line. Uh, Two years ago, I never thought Mike Riley would be leaving Oregon State. And if I listed 20 candidates who was going to take over for Mike Riley, Gary Anderson wouldn't have been anywhere on the page. He was the head coach at Wisconsin. So the whole thing that happened last time was so screwy, so unbelievable, and I had no clue what was going on. I'm not going to waste my time trying to guess what goes on this time. I just wait to see what the (laughs) final results are.
1: Yeah, well, probably the uh, the prudent way to assess that. I'm going to go out a limb though, and say Riley's going to be involved. I'm not going to say he's going to definitely get the job, but i got a feeling we're going to find out in the offseason that there's overtures to him about, uh, about stepping back. It'll be an interesting watch, to be sure. 646-668-2248. He's Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regei. Jim Nabaza is our producer. We'll be checking in with Jimmy as we uh, get a look-see at uh, all of the outstanding thoughts you have on Twitter. I mentioned, though, the Navy midshipman a couple of moments ago, ranked number 25-5 in Just a wild 48-45 win over Air Force in Annapolis last week. Commander-in-Chief points big there for Navy. Let us uh, swing into uh, the state of California as our man Tony joins the show. And I know Tony's got some thoughts on Navy in Memphis. What's going on, Tony? How are you?
0: Hey, how you doing today? I just wanted to check, you on know, the midshipmen and not the Boilermakers today. Um, they had a really, really tough game against Air Force, and I expected them to, you know, to cover the point spread. Do you see a letdown this week uh, when they play Memphis? Because Memphis really did look good against Connecticut last weekend, gentlemen.
2: Thanks for your time. I right, appreciate the call Tony and an interesting matchup. And you go back to last year's game, you have a contrast in styles here. I mean, Memphis has a dangerous pass attack with Riley Ferguson. Navy doesn't have any scout team players that can even resemble Riley Ferguson the way he throws the football. He's got a 16:5 ratio this year, so you would figure Memphis is going to have success and last year was a high-scoring game, 42 to 28, a lot of points on the board. And I think 2 years ago uh, as well, they they put up a lot of points in that game uh, with Memphis and Navy, so it's a uh, it's one where it was 45 to 20 that year. And then the other, on the flip side of the coin, it's tough to duplicate that Navy option, and they run it with such efficiency. And the thing I found with Navy is that usually in the first four weeks of the year. They're averaging like high 20s, maybe low 30s in points. Then as the season goes on, they get into that 40, 45 points per game. So I think Navy will be effective. But you correctly point out, they're coming off a big service academy game, a game they needed a uh, touchdown in the final seconds to pull out the win against Air Force uh, after a big lead. I like the way Zach Abbey's running the offense. I mean, he's leading the team with 870 yards rushing. They've got talented backs. I think this is going to be a high-scoring shootout and, uh, and live up to the level. And uh, I think Memphis has got the advantage of the fact that they're off in a little bit of a breather. They only played Connecticut last week and won that 70-31. to So I'm going to rate this game a toss-up, but uh, I think it's one of those where both teams have an excellent shot at winning. Appreciate the call. Phil,
1: I think this is going to be a one that uh, is going to gain a lot of attention this weekend, and it is a tough assignment for Ken Niamatololo. And Phil, remember back when we were doing our, our previews back in July and August, and we were going through some of the quarterbacks that uh, maybe our fans aren't aware of. And my guy was Riley Ferguson, and those seven TD passes last year. Memphis four and one. So, well, I don't know, I. Uh, I hope Navy's defense is ready to defend because uh, I think they're going to have to to win this win this football game. But it it really should be uh, an intriguing watch and probably one that comes down in the fourth quarter. Although having said that, I uh, Nia Matalolo is one of my favorites. And and Phil, do you know Showtime? You know the uh, television network Showtime. They're doing a show each and every week about you know inside Navy football. Have you seen that?
2: You know, I have not seen it, comes it but I, I think I'm going to have to look yeah. that up because uh, Coach Neil check Matalolo is one that, that I talk to every year, and it, it's always a fascinating and long conversation. And uh, I would like to, to check out the inner workings there of the Navy program, so I'll do that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, – I want to say a new episode comes out every Tuesday night, and I usually tape it. Um, it is on later, but it's on the Showtime. And so if you have access to that, check it out because Nia Matalolo, he he allows a, a lot of access to his program. Uh they they go around with uh, Zach Abey, the quarterback, quite a bit and well, that touchdown pass he hit to uh Tyler Carmona did you see it, Phil, with only fifteen seconds left to win it? Uh, to cap off that Air that Force sure did. win. He threw a yeah, yeah he threw yeah. a bullet, just a strike to the end zone to Carmona. So who says Navy can't throw the football? He too, right? <laughs> that's right yeah they were able to do it there all right so that's one to really keep an eye on for all of you this week navy and memphis but we are uh, we we wound up we started out today we're being uh, aac american athletic conference uh, very intensive today let's keep that rolling right in the great state of ohio here's our man Derek as we welcome him to strong as steel glad you're here Derek. how you doing today I'm doing well, and I hope you guys are, too. It's uh, quite an honor to talk to you, fellas. Happy hump day. So, um, Tulsa, hosting the game at, um, I don't know, 3.30. they are playing uh, Houston. I want to know your guys' take on that game. I know Tulsa's coming off of uh, three triple option teams, which is pretty impressive when it comes to the schedule-wise. They didn't fare well. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, frankly, I'm disappointed with Tulsa. And to be honest with you, if we talked about that game on the show last week, and I don't think we did, but if we did, I would have been saying i give Tulsa a great shot at beating Tulane because even when I talked to uh, Coach Montgomery, the first thing I mentioned to him was, You know, I had perused the schedule. I said, wow, what an advantage you have. You play New Mexico, followed by Navy, followed by Tulane. Not a lot of teams get more than one week to prep for the option. You get three full weeks. And, frankly, watching the Tulane game, it looked like Tulsa had never seen the option before in their life, and they had just faced it the last two weeks. So very disappointed there. Now, Chad, President, once they got behind, they thought they knew they needed to throw. Luke Skipper came off the bench, started throwing the football. He had a decent amount of his passes. But uh, you know, I just expected Tulsa to be a lot better than they were. They had that close loss to New Mexico, close loss to Toledo, the close loss to Navy, and then I am not sure what the heck happened last week. <laughs> Maybe it was the uh eleven o'clock AM start, the impending rain. I'm not sure, but that was really a poor performance. So with that said, I gotta like Houston. I um I don't know what kind of state of program. Tulsa's is in right now. Houston's got some impressive wins. You go back to the Arizona game; that looks better by the week, because Arizona's uh, knocked off Colorado on the road last week. The Texas Tech loss; Texas Tech is ranked. That was a three-point loss. Nearly beat Texas Tech. They go on the road, beat Temple uh, last week. They dispatched SMU by uh, thirteen points. So it's a Houston team that also switched quarterbacks. They went to Kyle Postma surprisingly over Kyle Allen, and and they've delivered two wins. But uh, I gotta think Houston's a better team there and capable of going on the road and getting the win. And I am not gonna utter the word Tulsa as a pick until I actually see them start playing a lot better. <laughs> they really disappointed me last night, last week. Uh Philip Montgomery is not gonna
1: like hearing you saying that, Phil. As you know, I uh and we talked about it here on the show, so I won't belabor it, but uh, I had them in that wild shootout uh uh, three weeks ago now uh, against the, the Toledo Rockets, just outstanding football game offensively. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. As much as I like Coach Montgomery and his squad, it's uh, a little bit of a tough sledding for them, and they need to get it back on track. There's no doubt about that. All right. I know one way, though, Phil does too, that we can get you on track. And let uh, say you want to go see Tulsa. And Houston this week, Uh, Philip Montgomery and Major Apple. We get asked all the time, what's the best, most efficient way to buy tickets for any sporting event you want, concerts, comedy? It's SeatGeek. That's right, our good friends at SeatGeek. They do a fantastic job for you. They're the smartest, easiest, most efficient, effective way to get the seats you want and at the prices you want, that's the best thing. they got a real seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell your tickets to events that you want, and that's the key, the events you want to, just a couple of taps of that mobile device of yours, and you'll get the best seats, best prices, fully guaranteed. You're going to see your favorite team, musician, comedian, Instantly finding seats, right, college football. Uh, I was asked to uh, help out uh, some folks that want to go see Penn State, Ohio State on October 28th, and I said, yeah, absolutely take care of that, and instructed them to get with SeatGeek, and they are happy, happy college football fans, and you will be too, all right? So make SeatGeek your go-to app. It'll save you time and money. And every type of ticket you want, as I said, not just sports. I mean, that's uh, that's at the forefront of the concerts, theater, comedy. You save time, you save money, and the best part of your Seat Geek experience—it's with us. You're as strong as steel. You're a strong as steel listener, and that means you get twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's right, twenty bucks off first time you go and make a purchase. You download the SeatGeek app, all right? So download your SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code STEEL, S-T-E-E-L-E, for 20 bucks off. Just that simple. Be front and center at every event you want. Got to do it the best way, the only way. That's with the good folks, the true pros at SeatGeek. All right, moving on. This is a jam-packed Strongest Steel, as they all are. We greatly appreciate all of you, uh, whether it's on uh, Blog Talk Radio, on iTunes. You guys always jump to the forefront with us, and you know, always let us know how much you like us when you go and listen. You get a spot for comments to say, hey, really love Strongest Steel, and uh, certainly that's going to help us to continue to to bring uh, the best of college football analysis and evaluation to you. All right. As we said, Twitter, at uh, PhilSteel042, at Michael Regai, at Jim Nabosna. Let's bring in our producer extraordinaire, Mr. James Nabosna, always on the mark. Jimmy, I know the Twitter mailbag is chock full of outstanding thoughts. Go ahead, man. Roll through them here on the show. We start with
0: Mike Torres, who says, is Michigan in a sandwich game situation at Indiana after their loss to Michigan State and with a huge game on deck at Penn State next week? Uh,
2: Generally, I would say yes for the sandwich game, except for the fact they're off a loss. I think had they beaten Michigan State, let's say a close win last week, with Penn State on deck, I would definitely put them in that sandwich, but with the fact they're off a loss, you've got to think that's going to grab their attention and, and become prepared. Now, I will say this. Indiana's defense is better than what you would think, and this year they're holding opponents to 28 yards per game below their season average. I like their offense with Peyton Ramsey at QB. Uh, I think Michigan will be able to pass this test off a loss, but uh, it's not an, not an easy situation, but definitely not a sandwich. Appreciate the, the uh, tweet.
0: Michael Roy says he was using the Phil Steele Plus data, and he had Q set around plus 20.5 at home versus point. Seeing plus 22.5 now, he still likes the Tigers. He would like to know your thoughts.
2: I like the Tigers as well in that. Now, the big question mark is, of course, Kelly Bryant. He has been upgraded to probable should play. You wonder if you're Dabo Sweeney, uh, how much you run Kelly Bryant. He's been a big part of the running offense. In fact, he's the team's leading rusher. I personally wouldn't risk him running the football as much, use him more as a pocket passer, and I'd get the backups in there. Now, they've got two capable backups. Sarah Cooper is more of the running quarterback. Hunter Jackson is PS number one QB. He only hit 11 to 12 passes so far this year, uh, and he can definitely throw the football. I think with Clemson, you know, in a little bit of a, a Letdown situation last week against Wake Forest. Uh, they had a letdown situation against Boston College, but this is not a letdown situation here against Syracuse. Uh, I think they can go on the road and get this one by more than the 21 in that. So, uh, yeah, and I appreciate you by the way using Phil Steele Plus.
0: Sean McGates says Louisville seems to be a whole different team when they're playing against a physical opponent. Do you think BC can bully them and keep it within twenty one and a half this week?
2: You know, I can remember going into last year's game thinking that BC had a chance and then Louisville just destroyed them 52 to 7. But this is a different BC team this year. You know, they've got some talent there on the defensive front. One of my better defensive fronts in the country, actually, um, with Landry there. And then you take a look at the um how they've played this year as opposed to last year. Last year they got squished by Clemson. 56 to 10. This year it was 7-7 in the fourth quarter. Uh, Virginia Tech last year destroyed them, 49 to nothing. This year was just 23 to 10. So perhaps they've learned how to narrow that speed advantage that some of the teams had on them last year that turns games into blowouts. And I do think B.C. is physical up front. So after holding Virginia Tech to 23 and after holding Clemson to 34 earlier this year, I think they, they will be able to establish the run a little bit on that Louisville uh, attack with Hilliman. And uh, I'd, I'd like them plus the points in that one. I think they keep it closer than expected.
0: We go out to Ernie who says, K-State hasn't really played a great game all year. Why are they only five and a half? point dogs versus TCU
2: this weekend. Two words. Bill Snyder. The guy's one of the best uh, underdog head coaches in the game. Last week, they were a a six-and-a-half-point dog at Texas guess what? They covered, and probably should have covered by more. I don't know if you watch the end of the game, but it was, I think, third and goal from the three. They handed off up the middle, and it sure looked like he would be stopped at the one, which would have been a field goal win for Texas, because they would have kicked a field goal on the next play, and then all of a sudden, the pile just kept driving. You know how they have the offensive lineman push, and they pushed him into the end zone for the six-point win last week, but to go into Texas and only lose by six, this is a dangerous K-State team. Now, Jesse Ertz got injured last week, and Alex Delton came on. Delton a capable QB. Bill Snyder's one of the most dangerous underdog coaches out there. I do think TCU's the stronger team, but then again, they only beat West Virginia by seven last week. I personally thought they'd win by closer to two touchdowns or more. So it's a, it's a dangerous spot anytime you take on Bill Snyder, and that's why they're only a five-and-a-half-point dog. Appreciate the tweet.
0: And we got our last question from Tommy, who wants to know if Marshall has a ground game to take advantage of a struggling Old Dominion rush defense.
2: Yeah, and this is a banged-up Old Dominion team. Uh, probably a little more banged up than I thought they were heading into last week. Uh, and, uh, you know, last week they gave up uh, – the last three weeks they've given up tons of yards on the ground. Florida Atlantic ran for 453 on them. Now, you look at Marshall's top rushers. Kalon Davis is a guy – who's averaging 5.2 yards a carry, Tyler King, 200 yards this year, 4.7 yards per carry. So they do have some running backs that can run it. They're only averaging 3.9, but they have taken on, you know, like a defense like NC State earlier this year. They ran the ball for four yards per carry on them. And if you can do that, you're going to be able to do that against this banged-up Old Dominion team, which lost their top running back, top receiver, and their defense is all banged up. I got to like Marshall to go on the road and get that one comfortably.
1: Well, that's an outstanding array of questions from all of you guys uh, on Twitter. Keep them coming. We might be able to sneak a couple more in in the final few minutes of uh, today's show. And, again, you can do that at PhilSteel042, at MichaelRegei, or at Jim nabazna great to have you along today phil Steele's here so is jim nabazna i'm michael Regai and you guys have really been uh bringing it strong and that's uh, that's why we name it strong as steel 646-668-2248 you know phil uh a moment ago you you mentioned uh, tom herman and his texas uh, longhorns and of course uh, yeah impressive with the uh Uh, the win over K-State, but now it's a Red River uh, rivalry down in Dallas this week in Oklahoma. Uh, Phil, have you uh, encountered, what were they, a 31-point favorite over Iowa State? They had a two-touchdown lead to start. I don't know, as I look back at it, if there has been more of that eye-popping, dramatic type of upset with a top-five team being that big a favorite in quite some time. Phil, can you remember one? that was of the magnitude of uh, Iowa State winning in Norman?
2: Um, yeah, I remember uh, back when Harbaugh took over at Stanford, they were taking on USC, and USC was a uh, 34, 35-point right. favorite in that, and Stanford wasn't even given a chance, and they pulled the upset there, sort of the one that got right. his program in gear and got him rolling. I definitely remember that one, and uh uh, you know, maybe App State against Michigan, which was a shocker, and uh, probably a couple others. But big-time win for Iowa State. In this game, you know, Michael, when you look at it, I, I think if you just play the game purely on paper, Oklahoma is the better team. They've got the best offense in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing was really wrong with the offense last week, but 31 points, they struggled a little bit in the red zone. That was probably what did them in. They had a big or a 14-point lead and, and blew it. But Tom Herman is one of the best underdog coaches out there. In fact, he's been an underdog now six times in his career, just six in the three years. And uh, most of them have been with Houston against ranked teams. And they've pulled the outright upset five out of the six times. The one time they didn't, remember they were a 17 point dog at USC this year and they took that thing to overtime. USC needed a field goal by a freshman kicker to send it to overtime or he would have had himself another outright upset win. So do I want to go against Tom Herman as an underdog? Heck no. Do I want to go against Oklahoma <laughs> off a loss with the better talent in a game like this? Heck no. And what I will enjoy, I love watching this game, Michael, because half the crowd is in Oklahoma's colors and half the crowd is in Texas' colors. It really a split right down the middle, and it's it's just a fun game to watch. But usually it does go it's decided by seven or less. So with the spread in this one, a little above a touchdown, it's like seven and a half, eight i got to lean with the underdog, Texas, to keep this one uh, closer than expected. Then, Tom Herman to maybe go 7-0 and as a dog.
1: Wow. Sure. I, no, I'm with you. I'd definitely take the points. Now, whether or not they are going to uh, spring yet another, it wouldn't be as large an upset as uh, Matt Campbell. And Iowa was state pulled off last huh. week in the eyes. No. So, the college football world, but it would still be in. But, you, you see, I, we're going to find out a lot about Lincoln Riley, aren't we, uh, this week as well, but, uh, you know, and very disappointing at and all. And and now can he get his squad back up and not have what the coaches like to say, Phil, don't let that loss beat
2: us twice, right? So, you know, um, the, the beautiful Oklahoma's thing about it up. is for Oklahoma is that uh, they are still, actually, if Ohio State wins a Big Ten, Oklahoma still controls its destiny as far as making the playoffs. If they win out... And they've got that win over yep. Ohio State, and Ohio State's the Big Ten champ. Oklahoma's in the playoffs. So, I mean, they, they almost control their own destiny. Now, if Ohio State doesn't win the Big Ten, then that would do them in. But they've got some big games left. They've got this one against Texas. They've got K-State, Oklahoma State, TCU, yep. West Virginia, the Big 12 title game. They win all those mm-hmm. and have that win over Ohio State. In Columbus, in their back pocket, they'll make the playoffs. But they've got to start with this one for starters. They've got to beat Texas or else their season could really spiral out control.
1: Well, you're right and deservedly so with with all of that coming up on Oklahoma's schedule. If they're uh, like you said start here and then there they can run the table from there, TCU, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, then you know, you you're going to tip your cap to Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield and that crew. Uh, we're at Strongest Steel as always 646-668-2248. Uh, let's go to uh, Boston, Boston, Massachusetts, huh? might be a little Red Sox uh, hangover today. Their manager got fired this morning. Here's our man, uh, Fred, thinking uh, mid-American conference uh, from the group of five. Hi, Fred, how are you? Hey, how you doing? I just wanted to say, fill your college football preview, best in the business, that stock market indicator, overrated, underrated schedules, most approved teams don't know what I'd do without this magazine. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Fred. Appreciate that.
1: Now, I wanted to uh, talk about Northern Illinois and Buffalo. I actually liked Buffalo last week as a home dog. Fortunately, it worked out somehow. But I'm looking at going against them this week. I mean, thinking they played that seven seven overtimes, if I'm not mistaken, their long game with Western Michigan. What do you think about that one?
2: Yeah, that's a great point you make, Fred. And, uh, you know, last week uh, I thought Western would win more than what they did, and so taking that thing to overtime, and, and I mean, they had seven different chances to win it. Any one of those overtimes could have done it for them. And really, when you look at the body of work for Buffalo this year, uh, they've probably overachieved my expectations most weeks. I mean, the Minnesota game in the opener, only losing by 10, only losing by four to Army, uh, beating FAU, uh, which I – I mean, look what FAU's done since they – lost to buffalo in that game uh they did get past kent state but coming off seven overtimes and hosting this game is going to be tough and here's an interesting stat for you i just posted on twitter this morning it's at phil Steele 042 and it was uh the yards per play by defenses in the country you know who number one in the country in yards per play allowed by the defense is How about Northern Illinois? I think it's 3.5 yards per play they're giving up on the season. That's impressive. They probably should have beaten – San Diego State two weeks ago, they had a 429, 263-yard edge, 23-10 first down edge. They did beat Nebraska on the road, so if you could beat Nebraska and probably should have beat San Diego State on the road, I think they can handle this task against Buffalo. A little nervous because Buffalo's been performing above my expectations, but the price is cheap in this one, and you catch Buffalo off the seven overtimes. So I like your way of thinking here, Fred, and I like Northern Illinois as well. Appreciate the call.
1: Yeah, good stuff, Fred. Phil, I've got Northern Illinois next week when they come into Bowling Green. So Rod Carey, uh, Phil, and I—one of our our favorite MAC head coaches—very always frank and forthright with us. So looking forward to seeing that. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, and, and Buffalo's doing this as well. Tyree Jackson, their starting quarterback, went down, and now Drew Anderson, his uh, backup from from the junior college ranks, has stepped in. So I. As much as I love Tyree Jackson, if you're Lance Leipold, how in the world now do you sit Drew Anderson back down after what he's done the last few weeks, not just the seven-overtime game, but before that as well?
2: Yeah, Anderson's a big boy. He's, what, 6'5"? He's got a 9-1 ratio. You have to be impressed with that. Yep. And speaking of quarterbacks, interestingly, Northern Illinois last week went with Marcus Childers. Now, when I talked to Coach Carey in the summer, Childers had a good shot at winning the job. Might be the most dynamic of the quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Graham is supposed to be back, but they also have Childers now available. So I think both teams have interesting quarterback situations where maybe the backup's the best player on the team.
1: Yeah, I, listen. That's uh, that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, and you know we speak Northern Illinois as well. They've had Daniel Santa Catarina at at, at the quarterback spot as well. So, uh, but you're right. Defensively, wow, it's uh, it's some special. Usually is in Decalb for Northern Illinois, and no different this year for Rod Carey. We move on and uh, get to the uh, the state of Michigan, where here's our man Tony on Strong as Steel. Tony's got some thoughts about. Uh, Mark D'Antonio's football team against P.J. Fleck. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Welcome.
0: Good, guys. Love your show. Um, Any chance Michigan State might have a letdown after beating Michigan and going on a road in a night game against Minnesota?
2: Yeah, you know, I think if you look at the two teams, the way they're playing this season, Michigan State has clearly been playing at a stronger level. You look at Minnesota – uh, the last two games or two games ago against Maryland, they really disappointed me. They were taking on uh, Bortenschlager, they were at home, and they lost that game by seven. But last week, they played better in the final score. And you look at last week's final score, they lose by 14 at Purdue. Okay, that was a nice blowout loss against Minnesota. Actually, minute and a half to go in the game, Minnesota's winning that game, 17-16. to 16. Uh, With about a minute and 10 seconds left, Purdue gets a touchdown and just takes the lead. They get the two-point conversion a lead by seven. Minnesota drives down the field. They're at the 29-yard line at Purdue. They're about to tie it, throws the pass, intercepted, returned for a touchdown. So, for those of you that just look at the scoreboard, you see a 14-point Purdue win. I see a game Minnesota could easily have won last. Last week, and was much closer in that final score. And as you touched on, uh, this is not just Michigan. Look at what Michigan State's done the last three weeks. Notre Dame. That's a pretty big game whenever Michigan State-Notre Dame hook up, Then they host Iowa, and that's another huge game. And then at Michigan, and now after three huge games, everybody patting them on the back. Everybody's calling them a national title contender. Everybody's saying they're finally back. They've got to go on the road and face <laughs> Minnesota. And it's a, a gopher team that's just laying in wait for them right here. So as much as I'm concerned about the matchups, of minnesota who needs to run the ball against that michigan state defense i think it's tough for any team in the country to play four straight tough games in a row use the same logic remember back when we had northern illinois over san diego state i said san diego state just beat a pac-12 team beat a pac-12 team played air force went to the wire they've got another mountain west game on deck and oh by the way they're playing northern illinois and as it was northern illinois probably should have beaten them Uh, They play that game nine times out of ten, not in that situation. I'll take San Diego State. But the situation really in favor of Minnesota this week. Appreciate the call.
1: Ah, interesting. So, Phil, what is the number on that? Uh, I didn't catch it. uh,
2: Michigan State's about a a four-point road favorite. Yeah, four-point road favorite.
1: Yeah. So both Phil Steele and Computer say uh, maybe Minnesota with those, with those points at home is the way to go. Another intriguing one this week. We don't have too many top 25 matchups, but we do have some ones because of uh, circumstances last week that are very, very intriguing. Let's check one more time with our producer, Jim Nabozna. Jimmy, you got uh, one or maybe possibly two more, if you could sneak them in, tweets that uh, uh, that we need to have on the show today.
0: You got it. Speaking of letdown games, Sean Keith says he thinks Kansas can cover the 21 points versus Iowa State this weekend, especially with Iowa State coming off one of the biggest wins in their program history. Should he think twice about picking Kansas here?
2: Yeah, I I think, like I tell you all the time, Michael, I think we've got some of the the smartest listeners in the world. They really pick up on exactly my thought process even coming in, and and that's my thought process right there. Iowa State goes from being the hunter – to the hunt dead. And their backs are probably sore right now because everybody's patting them on the back for that big win over Oklahoma. And now there are three touchdown favorite against, oh, it's just Kansas. Kansas has won five Big 12 games in nine years, for crying out loud. We don't have to worry about Kansas, right? Well, last year, Kansas upset Texas, took Iowa State to the wire, took TCU to the wire, and earlier this year, they only trailed West Virginia by eight points in the fourth quarter. They're the team that now is saying, hey, maybe we can make our mark. So a tremendous situation for Kansas. Play this game at a neutral site I'm at a, a, with both teams equal rest coming off the same situation. I'm taking Iowa State by 34, 35 points. But in this situation, I like Kansas to keep it closer than expected. Appreciate the tweet.
0: Rob P. says he understands why people are down on his Nebraska corn huskers, but he thinks putting them at a 24-point underdog versus Ohio State is just way too much. Do you agree?
2: I am not jumping in front of this Ohio State buzzsaw at all. I mean, they're sort of like UCF. They're just not only beating teams, but uh, beating them bad and taking names. And uh, now they play in Nebraska. The Penn State game is not for two weeks. Uh, last year when Ohio State played Nebraska, it was the final uh, 62-3. to I don't think it's anything near that, yeah. but uh, I, I, th- I thought Nebraska was going to give Wisconsin a better game. It was 17-17 last week, gave up the final three scores, lost by 21. Uh, I'm just not going to jump in front of that Ohio State Express right now. They've just been too impressive, both offensively and defensively.
1: Appreciate that. Uh, you guys on Twitter have been fantastic all day long, and uh, as we said, we try to get to as much, uh, as, much as we can, and uh, and we do that each and every week for you. So, Phil, as we continue on a little bit here in the last couple of seconds with the Big Ten, so you've talked a lot about these uh, two weeks in late November with the Penn State Nittany Lions. They continue to be one of those 13 unbeatens. They are off this week, and then the next two weeks uh, – James Franklin's football team uh, hosts Michigan in the Saturday Night Whiteout and then travels to Columbus. So, uh, obviously, I think the obvious we're going to find out a lot about Penn State coming up after they get this one off to continue their preparations, huh?
2: Yeah, I agree, and uh, I I think that Penn State's in a real good situation against Michigan, coming off a bye, catching Michigan on a second straight road game, third straight big game, whiteout situation at night. I do expect Penn State to win that one, but then after playing their A-plus game against a team that, by the way, Michigan beat them 49-10 last year, so that's not a gimme. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. After
2: giving their A-plus effort, they travel on the road and face an Ohio State team that is off a bye at home, playing with revenge, I think it's going to be very tough for Penn State, uh, and then the very next week they have to go and travel to face Michigan State on the road as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And uh, by the way, you mentioned last year Jim Harbaugh went into Happy Valley and uh, beat James Franklin two years ago as well. So Harbaugh two and zero against Penn State and one and zero against Wisconsin. Well, everybody this week, of course, have been uh, been harping on the uh, the one and four against Michigan State and Ohio State. Phil, as we wind it up here real quickly, I'm at Wisconsin. Now they're five and oh 2 Seems like everybody's forgetting about them in the Big Ten now, right? Uh, they have uh, well, most people consider a real easy schedule. We talked about that. All right, it's at home against Purdue this week. Really love Jonathan Taylor. How you like that freshman, uh, Phil? 249 yards as they just blitz Nebraska, but Wisconsin. Wisconsin seems to be getting stronger and stronger, don't they?
2: Yeah, they do. And uh, Wisconsin, to me, will be unbeaten at the end of the year and in that Big Ten title game. I think they'll be matched up against Ohio State. And uh went to the store and got some popcorn for that one already because I can't wait if that matchup comes to fruition. <laughs> you know, one 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 note here, though, well, Wisconsin has pretty much dominated Purdue. They won the last nine meetings by at least 17 points per game. I find it funny that Vegas has a number at sixteen and a half at that point because you're thinking, hmm, what are the odds of Wisconsin doing that? And go back to that misleading final I mentioned on Purdue last week. Uh, you know, it was yeah. not a 31-17 to 17 Purdue win. Basically, they were down by one with a minute and a half to go in the game. And on the scoreboard, it looks pretty good. Also, the second half against Michigan. Uh, you know, they did their great fighting against Michigan 10-7 at the half. And what they have in the second half, Michael, two yards or two first downs. It was
1: two yards, not much two yards, offense. Two,
2: yeah, that's two, it. two that's yards it. in the second half. And I think Wisconsin's a right. better team than Michigan. So if Michigan could beat them by 18 at home, I got to like Wisconsin's odds of beating them by more than 16 and a half at home.
1: Oh, Phil, I love that Wisconsin offensive line, and Jonathan Taylor, as we said, uh, you know, listen, I on the top O-lines in the country. All right, Phil, real quick, before you get out of here, tell us all about uh, Inside the Press Box, Phil Steele Plus, where they can catch you uh, in other endeavors.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, Michael. Naturally, be in Bristol all day tomorrow uh, doing a bunch of sports centers. Those sports center hits have been doing red hot, so make sure you check them out at 8.30 in the morning, uh, 11.50, and then a couple of sports centers at night. Uh, make sure you check out ESPN Insider. Give you college plays. NFL plays, power ratings, much, much more. That's will uh, go to ESPN.com slash Phil Steele. We'll take you to ESPN Insider, and you can get in there. And then uh, my newsletter, Inside the Press Box, complete write-ups for all 59 games this weekend, a complete breakdown of every mm-hmm. game, everything you need to know about it. That's at InsideThePressBox.com. So that's InsideThePressBox.com. Follow me on Twitter, at PhilSteele042. And finally, You know, the uh, matchup for uh, PhilSteel.com, the PhilSteel Plus Game of the Week, didn't win last week. It's 1-1 and on the year, but I will have a PhilSteel Plus Game of the Week for you on Friday like we've been doing, a complete breakdown and a little bit inside of how to use PhilSteel Plus, the stuff I use for my uh, my personal stats.
1: We'll be looking forward, my friend. Safe travels, and uh, we'll see you back here next week on Strongest Steel. Be well, buddy. Thanks. That's going to do it for uh, our uh, our man Phil Steele. He, he's see he's so busy. He has got so many things going on that he he's got to like, roll right into something else next. It's all good. Keeps him on the up and up. We appreciate you guys and uh, your listenership here on Strongest Steel. Couldn't do it without you again. Go to Blog Talk Radio. Go to iTunes. If you want to leave us a quick comment. Tell us how why you love Strongest Steel so much. Tell us uh, why you're locked in every week, and uh, that will. Uh, keep us continuing to go as, uh, as strong as we can for you here on the show. All right, great stuff from all of you. We'll look for you again uh, next, uh, next Wednesday. That'll be what, uh, October 18th? We'll see you again here at noon Eastern on Blog Talk Radio. You can uh, go find anything you want on iTunes with the show as well. Now for Phil Steele and our producer Jim Nabosna who always does a terrific job. I'm Michael Regei. Enjoy your college football weekend, everybody. We appreciate the listenership, and we'll see you next week right here on another edition of Strong as Steel. Till then, so long, all.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo when we lost track of time. <gasps>